welcome to the UGA Sports Live Show. My name is Roddy DeBulsey. I'm joined by Dane Young and Russ Tanner. Russ Tanner is a former Georgia football player. Uh, he was pretty good back in his day, but he's as good as he was on Georgia's offensive line. He's a much better commentator and friend, and we enjoy having him with us. Uh, the slacker is weaseling his way out of dogs and hogs on Wednesday, so we're having him move up to the uh, the big show uh, Coach Donnan is uh, out of town. He's giving a speech, um, which he does a lot of. So if you have a Bulldog Club meeting or you have some uh, quarterback club meeting or something like that, you want Coach Donnan to come to it, he'll do it. I mean, yeah, he's he's still out and active in the community trying to support the Bulldogs as much as he can. So he's actually out working on Georgia's behalf. So well, we bring in another guy who speaks very highly of Georgia and works on their behalf relentlessly, and that is Russ Tanner. Russ, thanks for being on the show. Hey, man, I appreciate it. It's like you said, it's call up to the big show. <laughs> we've been playing in double A for a while now. And uh you're getting that right hander, man. I understand it's like a little 10 day stint when your your league got an IR, but uh yeah, now unfortunately chaperoning a sixth grade field trip tomorrow and I uh, can't be on our normal shows. Yeah. Appreciate uh Danny and Roddy having me on today. I'm only slightly uncomfortable to be on a show with two people that know way more about my finances than should be on a live person. <laughs> I mean, I could probably lick your social up, but that's not cool. Yeah, no, I mean, that's good. I've done done a couple of mortgages today. He's my guy. I appreciate it. Roddy, how does it feel to be the only person on this uh, show right now that doesn't know where Snellbridge Road is in Lawrence County? <laughs> I, I can live with it. I really can. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It's, hey, well, let, let's talk about Ole Miss. I know people don't want to hear us uh, Jim or Joe all the time. I think – that was the most impressive game I've seen from Georgia in a while. Not the the waxing of Kentucky was big, and a lot of people were thinking that you know Kentucky's uh, you know they were a darling upset pick, and even some even people even picked Florida to be an upset. The Ole Miss game had a lot of people worried, myself included, because of such a good offense, and Georgia has Georgia's defense front was not as good as they were last year, of course, with Jalen Carter out. But and then you know that first couple drives that Ole Miss had, you're like. Oh, and I actually tweeted out this is going to be a long night. Now, I didn't say for who, but, yeah, I, I meant it could be a long night because I thought it would, Georgia would be in a shootout. But then all of a sudden, Georgia scored, what, 31 unanswered points or something like yep. that? It was just an absolute butt kicking. And I want to give credit to the offensive line, 611 yards, no tackles for loss, no negative yards. And as a former offensive lineman on here, I got to ask Russ, did you see that coming? Heck no. You know, this, this O-line group, man, like, they have been, uh, to use the word that uh, people from mine and Dang's area of the woods don't use, like, they've been much, much, dang, I can't even say it, maligned for uh, a good bit of the year. People have been talking bad about us while I'm trying to get out. Maligned has about three more syllables down there. That's right. That's right. you got to say it slower. But, you know, it, it's amazing. We've talked about all year as we've had these different shows, talking about this Georgia team, to where with this offensive line, we don't realize how big of a deal for these guys to be banged up all year it's been. You've had moving parts like crazy. Trust, I think, has played two or three different positions on the line. You've been rotating guys in at guard. You, you've just been trying to find the pieces that fit. It's amazing when you bring a first-round guy back, Maris Mims, and plug him in there. Then you're able to move other guys to their more natural spots and just see what that line does. It's like – there's a reason these guys are your starters to begin with. Now you've got another four or five guys behind them that rotate in and keep it fresh. And the way Georgia rotates their offensive linemen right now, and you saw in this game, man, Kirby's proven over and over. If the game is close, 
at halftime, it's bad news for the other team. Because once those big nasty start rolling, man, they just freaking rolled Ole Miss in the second half. Uh, we, we can talk about – we'll talk about it a ton. But to me, you know, I know, we, we murdered TCU. We've had a lot of other great wins. But to me, once we fixed whatever run fits Kirby talked about in the first two drives where they scored on us, where those freshman linebackers kind of had some whoopsies, once we fixed that, it felt like the most complete showing for a Georgia team since the Oregon game in the Bends last year. That's what that's kind of my point was I was not expecting a route like that. I mean, defensively, you know, my questions were, can Georgia's defense stop them? You held them one of their lowest outputs. Uh, the, Trey Harris, one of the top receivers in the nation, he did not show up. Uh, running quarterback Jackson Dart held in check. Uh, Judkins, maybe the best held back in the SEC. He didn't tear Georgia up. So, I mean, they looked really good. Uh, almost 200 yards in the first quarter, you're like, holy crap, these guys are stout. But you're right, when they made the adjustments, they just shut them down. And I I also think, and I'm going to get both your takes on this, that offense for Georgia, four drives, four touchdowns, no field goals, just straight touchdowns. If you're on the opposing offense, I mean, I understand how the defense is just disheartened. It's like, man, <laughs> they got the ball four times, they put it in the end zone. Uh, Every time you're, you're starting to feel bad. But if you're the offense on the other side, you're starting to get tense. You're starting to nut up. You're like, ah, we have to score every time because these guys are not going to stop scoring on our defense. And you took what was uh, a what looked like a very um, comfortable, confident offense. Now, all of a sudden, they started feeling the pressure. And so I almost feel like the Georgia's good offense was a fantastic defense, if that makes sense. Well, and I think one thing that happened too, Roddy, was that you saw back-to-back weeks here of the difference in a team like Missouri and a team like Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss, yes, it has an offense that can be high firepower, but specifically, I want to look at the defenses here. If you cannot slow down Georgia's running game, you can't beat Georgia. Because so much develops off of that. Seeing Kendall Milton run the way he did, seeing the offensive line play the way that it did, like that's the reason Missouri had a shot to get in that game in the fourth quarter with Georgia and potentially even take a lead because they could slow down Georgia's running attack. Not many teams in the country can do that, and we'll, we'll see if others can. When I saw that Ole Miss wasn't rushing things with Carson Beck, when I saw that they weren't stopping Dejan Edwards from getting yards after the carry, I was like, this, this is done. Like, George's offense is going to roll in that case. So, I obviously don't know how to work technology, and my phone rang, and I got muted for like an hour or something, which I'll talk about right there. But I heard you talking about not getting to Carson Beck. Right? I think I heard somebody else say this. I think you mentioned it. Did I hear it right where Carson Beck didn't get touched all night long? No. There were zero quarterback hurries on the uh, chart that I looked at. Now, uh they, he actually was asked about this after the game. They're like, you know, Carson, you look too clean for a muddy game at Sanford Stadium. He's like, yeah, I, I didn't get touched. There were no uh, – I don't think there was any tackles for loss. I don't think there were any negative plays for Georgia. You know, you run 61 of them, and to have nothing like that was was pretty impressive. Uh, the way Carson delivered the ball, a lot of people were like, you know, again, it's hard for me to, to fathom. This is his first year. This is his first year running this offense, and he looked phenomenal. I actually asked Kirby Smart in the press conference. I'm like, uh, what's the difference between week one and week uh, ten? He's like, nothing. This is what we were expecting. But to Carson's credit and what you're talking about, no, uh, didn't get touched. 
Yep. This was the team that was supposed to pressure everybody. This was the team that was relentless that dialed yep. up stuff and made teams do stupid things. And we got them for 10 yards a play. A play. Do you know how insane that is? I mean, Lane Kiffin even talked about it, right? Yeah. And and it was a complete 10 yards a, a play, too. You know, I was talking – I saw Brent Rollins talking about in the first half tweeting about Carson Beck's performance. The only throw that was negative in the first half was a pick – and it was a great throw that went off the receiver's hands. So even his bad throws, he threw one to Dylan Bell out to his left, a little out route against the blitz. It almost knocked Dylan Bell's uh, mouthpiece off the front of his face mask. It was that close. He just didn't get his head around in time. So he is on point right now. You know, talking about other Georgia, Georgia guys talking about things. You know, Pollock puts up a thing every week, his kind of dudes of the week, and his Heisman watch list. And he's got Jaden Daniels, number one, and probably rightfully so. I mean, that dude's yeah. looking unbelievable for LSU right now, doing crazy things. The only reason Carson Beck is not a bigger piece of that conversation is because of how complete of a team Georgia is and the style that we play of football. We are not in a shootout, throw the ball over the field and see how many points we can score. We try to get the lead on people, and then we freaking choke the life out of them with our offensive line. And Carson Beck right now is the most accurate passer in college football. He is on fire right now. And it better continue, by the way. Kirby said a couple years ago, humility is a week away. So you can get humbled in a hurry going to the England Stadium. But right now, as Georgia fans, man, you've got to feel unbelievable about Carson Beck and where he's got this offense right now. I go back and I'm looking at the fact that, you know, your kicking game was on point, your return game was on point, your offensive line, just mauling people. And, you know, your running backs looked great. Your quarterback looked great. You're, you got Brock Bowers back. Yep. Uh, shout out to the – folks at UGA Sports who reported that he was going to play when other people were reporting that he would not. Uh, my, her staff uh, kind of nailed that one. You have to pat ourselves on the back, but you get the best player in college football back. Yep. And it would be very easy to have guys be resentful. It'd be very easy to say, look, you know, uh, this is my turn to be in the spotlight. And Georgia, I don't think, is as talented as they have been in years past. No. 20, 25 guys drafted. But here's why I think it works and why you're able to choke the life out of these teams. Kirby mentioned it when we asked about Amarius Mims coming back. You know, Xavier Truss plays – you know, he starts, and then he moves over to left tackle. And Ernest, uh, Ernest Green comes out. Then Ernest Green goes back in, and Truss goes back over. And, you know, so you had three – guys play at the uh, tackle spots and you had multiple guys play at the guard spots. You have three really good guards mm-hmm. at that left guard spot. And he's Kirby in his press conference, like, Hey, uh, do you, do you know how important it is that these guys were not resentful of each other, that they were willing to share? There was no hurt feelings. There's no, it is guys fight on football fields. Guys fight at practice. It can get, testy out there you're trying to make it to the league and some guy coming in and kind of taking your spot or having to share you don't want to share with him no but this team shares they share at the linebacker spot they share on that defensive front you got four seniors every one of them out there could be trying to do something to get his his numbers up but they play their gaps they you know they play their assignments so this is a team its strength is being unselfish look at how many guys share the ball in the running back spot how many guys share uh, catching passes and i I hate to say it. If you, ha- it feels like a an old a Princeton team that has all seniors playing basketball that goes you know, into like the Sweet Sixteen because they play team football. This is complimentary football, and it just you can and you're still more talented just about anybody you face. But if you have an unselfish team, Russ, I, it's you, you can lose, but it's going to be hard to beat them. 
there, there's so many like old cliche type sayings right now about um, it's amazing what you can accomplish when nobody hears who gets the credit. I mean, yeah. we've heard that stuff a long time, but there, there's so much truth in that. And and we've given Kirby uh, ample amounts of credit for the way that he recruits, right? We've given yeah. him tons of credit for the staff he puts around him, um, for the facilities, for the money that's been raised, for all these things. I don't think, I know he doesn't, get enough credit for the mindset that's been instilled in this program right now. It's crazy, man. And it's not like Kirby is a coddling coach, by the way. You guys have been to practice a little bit, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes at the beginning of practice. I mean, when Kirby's on the mic, it's not a bunch of, hey, good job, guys. You're doing super today. Keep trying. Like, that is not it. He is in people's rear ends about doing their job. But they bought in, man, and rightfully so, about if you do what we ask you to do, prepare that we ask you to prepare. Practice as hard as we practice, which is ask any coach in the country right now. It's no longer a secret. Georgia practices hard than anybody else in the country. And those guys just keep stepping up, keep stepping up, keep stepping up. Now they've got a mindset about they don't care who gets it as long as they win. And by the way, these guys expect to win now. It's a crazy thing. If you talk to some of these guys, some of the players on the team, in private, they'll say, we don't lose. So they literally have a mindset about we don't lose. It's not even a cocky deal. They are that confident in the men around them and how they go about their business to where it's dangerous right now for Georgia. We've had injuries like crazy. The best player in college football, Brock Bowers, out. Georgia had to skip the beat. And we mentioned that a few weeks ago when he went out. If they can figure out how to be productive on offense without Brock Bowers, because Brock sparked Carson Beck this year, right? Auburn. Yeah. We can all look back very clearly and see Auburn. It's a tight game, back and forth. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, just throw 19 to freaking ball and quit trying to overthink it. And Brock went nuts on him, right? And that's where Carson Beck kind of came alive. So you're like, Brock's out. What's he going to do? Well, next thing you know, oh, yeah, I forgot. Lad McConkey is probably an All-American as far as when they when they start looking at him. Ra-Ra Thomas, dang, that dude's pretty good. Oscar Delt made a one-handed catch on the sideline. Kendall Milton, have we ever seen Kendall Milton look this good? All these guys have had to step up and not just do their job, but excel in their job. And so far, man, like every single person whose numbers they've called, they've answered the bell. Yeah. And this team, I mean, it's, I, I love watching them right now. I really legitimately love watching this team play football. I mean, Georgia has answers that other teams just don't have. Like if other teams lose the what Dumas Johnson is for their team, someone comes in that is not as prepared to do what C.J. Allen is currently doing. Like the depth of this team, Roddy, you talk about the unselfishness. Like there have been selfishness around here. They don't hang around. Like nope. they, 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 Brenton Cox transfers to Florida. Didn't want to do what was needed to do. Sorry, Georgia. Sorry there's multiple examples, and some of them are really good players. Barry Alexander. There's that. I mean, <laughs> and some have unique cases. Throwing names out there. It, it's not like every transfer is. I, I, I can't tell you. Ad Mitchell was that way. Uh, he seemed like he could do the yeah. Georgia thing. He had other reasons. So don't lump everyone that transfers in out of here into that. I'm just saying that. When you have the cases of a Carson Beck that's willing to hang around because this is the the carrot at the end of the stick, man, as a program, it really helps you. As everyone else has this roster turnover and roster management, Kirby can say, be patient. It's coming if you do the right things, and he has evidence to prove it. Other teams don't have that. And, and, and I think the way that Kirby has handled all those situations, if you see the behind the scenes, I think you'd be even more impressed. I mean, there's some situations where guys are like, hey, I'm thinking about leaving. Go. You're out now. 
But there's guys on this team that are going to transfer after this year, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we, we, we know that. It's, it's the fact. It's just the, the life of college Yeah, at least college football. And I, and I know – I'm not going to say who it is. I know of one right now that's going to transfer after, after the season. He's already talked to the coaches. They're supporting him. They're trying to make sure that he finds a good landing spot. And guess what? He's still in the rotation for this team playing his butt off every week. So if these guys handle it in the right way, they do their work. They show up every week and just work, man. They practice on Bloody Tuesday. When it's time for them to rotate into the game, they do it. If you need somebody to carry the water bottles, they do it. And then when that happens, Kirby helps those guys find a good spot. He'll call schools on their behalf. He'll send things on my – well, I don't know how they go about doing that stuff. But they help those guys find a good landing spot. But you've got guys like that who are going to transfer after the year. And, and you're not mad at these kids. They're never going to beat out these first-round guys they're playing behind. And they just want to play. They've been in the program several years. But they're still on the team loving their brothers and being part of something that's the most special time in the history of the program. So, you know, the way Kirby handles that is unbelievable. Well, to me, when you take that philosophy, hey, we're going to support our kids, and other teams support their players too. I'm not saying that Georgia is any different than a lot of programs, but when you show it and the kids believe it, and you can have kids who are unhappy. We, there's there's two guys on the Georgia squad right now that have basically they quit and then kind of came back. You know, they you can have fights with your coaches, you know, yell at them and stuff like that. Not in you know, 105 people, somebody's going to be upset especially when there's basically 44 that start, you know? So, and you have these, all these blue chips everywhere. Somebody's not going to be happy. I'm not saying it's all roses over there, but what Kirby smart preaches is unselfishness. And you see that in the coaching staff. When we ask him questions specifically about, you know, which coach saw this uh, uh, opportunity to block a punt, you know, he's like, Oh, well, our special teams guys now. And and Kirby will give credit, but he's like, well, it was the whole staff working in there. So you get the entire team, the coaches, Get them to be uh, unselfish, and you convince the uh, up the, the starters and the guys you know who are the number two guys to be unselfish, and then you become bigger than the sum of your parts. And the yep. sum of your parts are pretty damn good. They're five stars or four stars everywhere, and you get them playing as a team. And then the three star comes up and he kicks everybody's ass. And I'm like, people say, you know, why are you so bullish on this team? I'm like, I've never in history, and I'm you know I'm a can be very pessimistic just because I know how hard it is to win football games. Before the season started, I'm like, well, they're going to go 12-0, probably 15-0 and win the title again, despite the fact they just lost 10 players to the NFL draft. It's And, you know, they lose the loss of best receiver to the transfer portal. It's, it's that system they got. And when you have the players – Buy in now. Will they buy in next year? Maybe not. You, that's always the the crux that's going out there. You don't know if the player's going to buy in. You don't know if your senior leadership or not, not even senior, just your leadership is going to show up. But Kirby will talk about it. We got great leaders, and you can almost see the relief in his voice because he knows how important it is, and it's not something he can recruit. It's not something he can control. It's not something he can create. You can't force leadership, but when it's there, and these guys, and you can't force unselfishness. You can't make guys do that. But when it comes naturally and organically, then all of a sudden they become juggernauts. Now, could they what? lose? Absolutely. But it's it's a lot harder to beat a team that's playing unselfishly. And you saw – the whole reason I'm bringing this up, that to me was the epitome of what we saw on Saturday. Yep. Every, at every position, guys out, you know, defensive front, guys switching, guys in the secondary, you know, uh, no one was – Mad that Julian Humphrey came in, you know, no, Tyke Smith the week before against Missouri. They're like, hey, buddy, 
we're going to move you out a little bit and put somebody else in that star spot. Like he came and met with me. He's like, I thought it was a great idea. They told us on Monday. I was all for it. I'm like, you've missed two years with injuries. You got to make you know make the most of your time right now. He's like, nah, man, this is great. You Different see how bad we whip their ass. <laughs> Different place, dude. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's crazy. So yeah, I don't know. I this I time of year it's this time of year, it's harder, too, just because to maintain that focus. You have players that are getting texts from other programs or like the portal's opening up soon, and we're kind of thinking about it. You've got coaches that are getting agents reaching out. Look, there are two SEC openings, right? Texas A&M played Mississippi State, and then both coaches got fired. And so Glenn Schumann's going to be getting job calls. Todd Hartley's going to be getting job calls. That's happening now. And George is trying to do back-to-back-to-back in the midst of that. It's really hard to maintain focus. That's the hardest part of Kirby's job right now. They have the talent. They have the execution. They have the scheme. They have all those things. But do you have the focus for five more games? You're right. Well, I think Kirby modeled that so well, though, right? Even you look back at his time under Saban. I mean, and, and he'll give a lot of credit to Coach Saban if you ever ask him about why he's successful now. He saw, he saw the greatest coach of our lifetime up close and personal for however long he was on Saban's staff, right? I mean, Kirby, Kirby's the only guy right now that's with a shot, by the way, but he's got to win a lot more games to take over Coach Saban as the greatest of all time. Saban's been unbelievable. But I remember when um, Kirby was thinking about taking the Georgia D.C. job back whenever it was, 2011, 2012, and basically it came out where Saban said, look, if you leave, fine, but don't do it for a lateral move. Like, stay yeah. here and build that resume. And eventually your number is going to get called and you can get a huge job a la – Dan Lanning. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's crazy with the portal now and the early signing period, what has changed the dynamic of the end season stuff for these teams coming down the stretch. I mean, these kids who already know they're transferring have talked to Kirby, taught their staff. They have to, because when's when's the portal open? I mean, it's been like a month, basically, right? I mean, they've got to start doing things. And these teams, you talk about Mississippi State, Texas A&M firing their coaches. They can't wait until November 30th anymore, December 5th, because of the early signing period. They've got to make that move and bring in somebody to try to establish a recruiting class. So, so much has changed about college football. And that's one of the things I probably dislike the most, by the way, is what it's done to the kind of, I don't know, these seem kind of focused down the stretch. So, uh, <laughs> it, it makes it even more impressive what Kirby and the staff are doing right now. It really does. And I pull for this team. You know, last year the team was a juggernaut, right? The only underdog part of that team was Stetson Bennett, and he'd already won a <laughs> national championship. Yeah. Everybody else is blue chip upon blue chip upon blue chip. And right now, I made a statement earlier in the year about those first-round guys on the defensive line, and I don't know who there are right now. There's really talented guys. Somebody will probably shake down on these underclassmen, but it's kind of that no-name defense a little bit again. You know the names because they've been around a while, but there's nobody that's the every-week superstar you can depend on to make the huge plays. But, man, somebody steps up every week, and they shut down one of the most prolific offenses we've seen in a long time, which is this old Miss attack. So, yeah, I freaking love watching them. I mean, Nazir Stackhouse has a name now, but it's as a ball carrier. That is a defensive lineman. That is very true. Uh, speaking of guys I'm pulling for, I'm pulling for our friends over at Dead Soxy. They do fantastic work. They make great uh, – socks they make uh, great fashion statements and they have a sale going on right now they hit me up with this the other day and i'm like oh, it looks pretty cool now remember last week we we're talking about they had the 40 percent off deal and they, that's the most they would do well now they have something and that was basically for uga sports members that wasn't for anybody else but now uh, or anybody that used promo code uga sports 
Now they have one where you can get the, if you spend, you know, 120 bucks, uh, 50 bucks, 150, 250, for however much you spend, there is a, a correlating discount. So if you uh, spend 250 bucks, you get 40% off. 150, get 30% off. Check out at the winter sales event at deadsocket.com where in the it's November 14th, you know, halfway through November, you're going to be buying Christmas gifts. Go ahead and get the Dead Soxy stuff now. It comes in such a cool package that you don't even really have to wrap it. You just give it to them. And the presentation looks great. They understand that these will be gifts. So they do a great job setting it up. So make it easier on yourself. Get them, get the people in your life some dead soxy socks. Also, if you want to get one of those giant bows and put it on a new car and or a pre-owned vehicle, our friends at Athens Ford can set that up for you. They'll, you know, say, hey, we want to get this car for Christmas. Go out there and check it now while they have a ton of inventory. Uh, they're also uh, starting on the ninth from November 9th to uh, December 9th, if you go out there and buy a car, they are going to donate $100 to the Angel Tree. Basically, they kind of the Toys for Tots program. It's a great system where they basically give 100 bucks every car that's bought for some kid's Christmas. And that kid will get a bunch of toys and things. It's not just, hey, here's a you know, $30 Tonka truck. It's, it's $100 for each kid. So, and that they, they sell a ton of vehicles out there. Uh, you would be stunned at the number of vehicles that go in and out of there on a daily basis. So if you want to go out there and get one, you'll be doing something good for the community. You'll be doing something good for yourself. I'm pretty sure they can find you one of those giant bows so that you can have that kind of uh, Instagram uh, reaction on Christmas morning when the person walks out there that you bought a vehicle for. I've never been into that. That's never in my wheelhouse. I've never had the money to do that, but I always wanted to. I always looked cool to see those people on those commercials like walking. I said, oh, my God, you surprised me with a car. How the hell did you not see it drive up? You didn't, you didn't, hear, you didn't get a ring notification that there's motion at your front door. I mean, or did you make a purchase like that without discussing it with me? Yeah, no, that, there's no way. Look, I would be all for it, by the way. I'm really glad. I don't know the rules about what you can and can't say, but since I don't get paid by y'all, I feel like I can say what I want to. I'm really glad Chevy's not one of your sponsors because I'm a Ford man. So I'm glad you got Athens Ford sponsoring you. And I do want a truck with my with a bow on it outside. If I ever hit a lot of I'm getting a Ford F-250 Power Stroke diesel with a big bow on it. But if Mrs. Tanner comes home and spends the money on one of those without talking to me first, it is not going to be a, a very Merry Christmas. Like we're going to have... We have some situations, but now if the people that Athens Ford want to donate one to me with a bow on it, <laughs> man, I will, I will, I will accept. Yeah, very kind of you. Hey, Russ, we hear a lot of us media folks right now just keep talking about how hard it is to play in Neyland Stadium. We hear yep. it from former players. You've done it. What is yep. Neyland Stadium like? What are your favorite memories from Georgia, Tennessee, up there? Sure. Uh, so Neyland Stadium to me, I, I actually have some of, some of my best memories are from Neyland Stadium. Um, you know, I was there for the Hobnail Boot game. I was the third string emergency center. I registered that year, but I got to travel. And, you know, Neyland, it, it's up there now, don't get me wrong, but Auburn, South Carolina, LSU, those are the hardest overall stadiums to me to play in that never, that never quiet down. But when Neyland, when Neyland is loud, there's nowhere like it. It is the loudest place inside when it starts rocking. And in 01, you know, it was such a great game back and forth. It was a they were they were they were who we were trying to be as a program. We were trying to get there, right? Right. So we were up there, we had a chance to beat them. And we we're up, and then they hit, I can't ever remember which one of the Travis's it was. They had Travis Henry and Travis Stevens. 
They hit him with that long screen down their sideline. I think it was Stevens by that point. You, you're probably right. I always get it confused. So I just say one of the Travises. But, you know, he catches it over there. And I remember when that cat went down their sideline, I was standing on the sideline. Ben Lowe was the, one of the uh, offensive line on the team with us, was standing, you know, from here to that far away from me, you know, arm's length away, looking this way. And I was looking at him screaming something, and he couldn't hear me. I'm literally wow. like – three feet from him and he, he had no clue it was that loud in the stadium so you could feel it you could literally feel the crowd noise on you i mean it just the vibration yeah. the vibration thank you that's what i was trying to say um so that's happening there and then right after that you know coach rick with the biggest stones in the world calls past 44 haynes and the only guy that had stones close to Coach Rick's size, David Green, turned his back on the Tennessee defense and stood for at least 18 seconds. You go back and watch the film, right? Yeah. And it turns around, and and Greeny said Coach Rick told him before the huddle, before the play, he said, hey, this is going to be wide open or it's going to be covered. So either throw the ball to Veron or throw it through the uprights into the stands. We'll run into the play next time. So Greeny said he drops back, you know, Back to the back to the defense, and when he turned around, he saw V going past the linebacker. The linebacker was stepping up, V was going straight, and man, he just threw a dot right there. And the, I've never felt or seen a shift from a crowd going absolutely hillbilly bananas to, to total silence, other than that little sliver up in the far corner end zone of people wearing red, and they were rocking that stadium. So, I mean, it, that that's the coolest moment I've ever been a part of inside of a stadium, personally, for a game I played. So, um, so the, the hobnail boot was one. Was one. I've got another. Y'all y'all have anything to say about hobnail boot? Because I don't want to monologue too long. No, 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 I was there, and I always tell people they're like, "Well, what was it like?" Because I, I was one of the few people that actually got a picture of it because it fooled a lot of people. And I was in that end zone, and I got the picture of Haynes catching it, and we ran it. It's still up in the Buttsmere building. People use it all the time because it's such a famous play. But to your point, when they went down and scored, and Travis said, that place was sideways. I couldn't I couldn't hear the people next to me. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Georgia comes back the other way. And it, it was the – they were trying to be loud to throw Georgia's offense off, you know, trying to, you know, get in their head. So it, the, the roar from the touchdown continued. It just kept going, kept going. But George was so methodical coming up the field. You could hear the tenor changing from, yeah, we got you. There's nothing you can do to, hey, let, 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 let's stop these guys. <laughs> you hear the panic come in. And, mm -hmm. I mean, David brought him right up the field really quick, you know. And, of course, Mark Rick's over there with no, I mean, just bloodless, you know, no emotion on his face, nothing. You're like, dude, just dispassionate. You know, as he always was. Remember, he remember early in his career, he was uh, complimented for that. Then towards the end, he was criticized for it. I'm like, it's, he's not changed. But yes, then they score, and that place just lets out a boomf and goes quiet, except for that little sliver of Georgia fans who were going batshit crazy. There it is. Call it what it was. They were just absolutely nuts. But you're right. I always say what I remember the most was the volume change. Yep. You know, it's almost like somebody unplugged a uh, the master switch at a rock concert. And you felt like you're so used to that vibration, then it disappears, and it feels like you're in a vacuum, and just this little tinny sound up in the corner. <laughs> the hell, that is great. 
One thing I've always been curious, so Russ, you're in the stadium. How long until you even hear the term hobnail boot? Because you don't listen to the radio call. When does that come into your world as a player? Man, I have no idea. I remember one thing after the game, I'll tell you all. But I don't know. I feel like uh, you're on the phone after that, on the bus, getting ready to go. And you you got all your buddies, family, and all all those people trying to call you. So maybe somebody says something, something about that, but it didn't take long. But I do remember going in that locker room after the game. And people ask sometimes, like, hey man, do you miss playing? Like, I don't, I don't miss practice. I don't miss the grind. But you <laughs> miss your buddies. And man, you miss that locker room. Cause I remember I like to ask questions, Dane, that y'all don't even know what I'm thinking and see if you can get it. But at this, at this point, think who was at the state of Georgia? Who is the most southern gentleman, big name Georgia person in our program at the time? If you had to look at somebody and say, this guy is a picture of Southern class. The absolute epitome of gentlemen. Who would that person be? Dan McGill. Oh, cl- very close. Same age, but athletic director, University of Georgia. God rest his soul. Vince Dooley. Vince Dooley. We're in the locker room, and Coach Dooley in there. Who, Coach Dooley? We all should try to be like Coach Dooley when we grow up. Just the kindness, the gentleness, the genuine care for people that he showed all the time. I saw Coach Dooley drop it like it's hot in the locker room. In the locker room. <laughs> with all the guys in there. I mean, it was wild. Coach Rick was dancing. Coach Dooley was dancing. It was a scene. It was a vibe, as the kids say in the locker room. Yeah, was, was, was Claude Felton dancing? I need I to know Claude this. Claude was even dancing. I bet Claude was moving a little bit. So, yeah. <laughs> Ask him. I'm sure he was. So, yeah, that that was awesome, man. And then, you know, we, we go up again. That was 01. And then the 02 season goes on. Great season for Georgia. Win the SEC. Um, you know, going to play Sugar Bowl, all that stuff. We come in, we come into 03, and all the dudes had left from the 02 team. You know, you're talking about the John Stenchcombs, Boss Bailey's, Tony Gilbert's, um, you know, Kevin Breedloves, all these guys that have been Ben Watson, all these guys that have been huge parts of this program who kind of put us on the map from 01, 02, the first two years, they were gone. We go up there in 03, uh, Casey Clawson's the quarterback. Um, he made a comment. He made a comment that week about he could beat Georgia one hand tied behind his back. They were feeling pretty good. We were feeling pretty good. But we go in up there to play him in 03. And it's a tight game back and forth. Um, you know, and Pollock, I won't ever forget, like he was pissed at Casey Carlson. It's that kind of whole Jordan mentality about I took that personally. So he kind of had that mindset. We were trying to give it to him. That's the one, if you remember, it was like, I don't remember the score. It's like 13 to 7 or something at halftime. They're going in to score, and they're down to like the three, four, five-yard line. And Pollock comes through the line, hits them in the backfield, made an unbelievable play, came through on his knees, and then Sean Jones scooped the score, went like 95 yards to the house. And, and it changed everything, right? Oh, you're pulling it up. Oh, this is beautiful. Can we can we see it? Can you make a Hurdle the line. Watch Pollock. Watch Pollock. Will Tennessee just dump a little dink pass in the end zone? Will Tennessee run a toss sweep? Goal line defense, seven seconds. A fresh back in there, Jabbar Davis. Watch him hurdle and let's see if that's what they do. They're blocking backs, moving, and we dive on the ball. Oops, sorry. And we pick it up. We've got a man running on the 20, the 25. 
Sean Jones going all the way. Sean Jones all the way. Oh, picked up a <laughs> and ran about 95 yards. And he had six blockers behind him all the way. Sean Jones picked it up. They were going to run a sweep with him. So that, that play happens. And we yeah. go in, and that puts us in the lead. And we go in at halftime, and, man, we are, we are jacked. You know, the defense has made a stop. They shut them down. Not only should they score points, we came out in the second half, and I remember Coach Calloway at one point telling us, he was our office line coach, offense coordinator, even though Coach Rick called the plays. And he said, we about to go out here, and we're going to line up, and we're going to run the ball. And the next play, guess what? We're going to run the ball. And after that, we're going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball until they don't stop us anymore. And I've gone back now. My memory fades on me a little bit, but it feels like we ran the ball like 16 times in a row. I think we ran like six or two or three. But we came out in the second half, and if there's ever been a time as a team where I was a part of an offensive line that reached in, grabbed the heart of a team, pulled it out, took a bite, and threw it on the ground, that's what happened in the second half of that game against Tennessee. We physically dominated them. And, Dane, I don't know if you can find the score for that game where it ended up. but it goes I've got it, yeah. We got what, four, where, where do we end up, Dane? 41-14, final score. 41-14. Yeah. The second half of that game was the most dominant performance I've ever been a part of as far as an offensive line, just absolutely killing them. Michael Cooper, Craig Lumpkin, Thomas Brown, all these guys in the backfield for us. We went up there and freaking smashed Tennessee in Neyland Stadium. And that's actually my favorite game I've ever played in. Let me give you the just rushing statistics from this. And now, there's not one that's super impressive, but just the collection of these. Tyson Browning, 13 for 21 yards and a touchdown. Michael Cooper, 12 for 42 and a touchdown. Craig Lumpkin, 5 for 37 and a touchdown. Ronnie Powell, 4 for 45. David Green, he got sacked, I guess, four for negative eight. Jamario Smith, three for nine. Uh, DJ Shockley, two for 32. Jeremy Thomas, two for eight. I mean, there's a ton Ooh. of dudes getting the ball. Career game for J-Man, four for eight. Jeremy Thomas, <laughs> that was a career game for him. Um, you know, it's funny, Tyson Browning has his, and there's a clip of Tyson in that game, too, to where he uh, he dies for the end zone and scores. And it's, and it's funny because Tyson said – uh, we, we talked about this year, actually. If Tyson ever got close to the end zone, he was going to do everything he could to get in because he knew if he got tackled inside the five, Tyson weighs 160 pounds. So if he got tackled inside the five, they were taking him out and putting Craig Lump and Michael Cooper, putting one of those guys in. So if Tyson got close, he was going to do all he could to score. So Tyson gets to like the five, and you see him. He just eyeballs the end zone, and he dives and stretches. And when he's in the air, a Tennessee guy just hits him right in the back. But he scored, and we're all going nuts. And Tyson's, we're trying to pick him up, slap him, and he's waving us off, like calling the trainers on over there from the sideline. He got cracked, like cracked a rib or something, I believe. So he got absolutely smoked right there on the touchdown. We couldn't even celebrate with him because he was laid on the ground whining. Well, I got a question for you about this year. Georgia uh, just comes off an absolute uh, blistering of Ole Miss. And uh, the line in that game was 11. They yep. had the Missouri team. It was really good. You saw what Missouri just absolutely annihilated uh, Tennessee. They hosted Tennessee at home. Tennessee scored seven points. Mm -hmm. uh, they just – and could not stop the run at all. And uh, Missouri ran all over them. This was a Missouri team that Georgia beat by nine. The line in that was like what, 15 and a half, something like that. Yep. Vegas has this game is like eight. What do they know that we don't know? Because I would expect the line to be higher. Is it all because it's uh, uh, in Knoxville? 
that's, that has a lot to do with it. Playing on the road at the SEC is very hard. Um, yeah. You know, Kirby's line last week I thought was great, right? He said, you know, everybody wants to knock the SEC here and there. If you want some, come get some. You can call Greg Sankey. They'll put you on the schedule. I mean, going and playing road games in the SEC is very, very hard. Just from the communication standpoint, the energy of the crowd, it, it's tough. And, and I think for Georgia, if there's ever been a week that could have a letdown feel, this is it. Because they've had to be up every game at this point, right? They've had to be rocking and rolling to try to get to Atlanta. But it's wrapped up now. In the grand scheme of it, this Georgia versus Tennessee game probably doesn't decide anything for Georgia as far as the postseason is concerned. As long as, as, long as we don't go out there and get boat raced by Tennessee and get smoked, you know, 41 to 10 or something like that, even if Georgia was to lose, they're going to be against Alabama in the SEC. And if they win, they're still going to be in the playoffs in all likelihood. And you're coming off of a hard stretch, man. I know we kill – we end up killing everybody almost other than Missouri. But they've had to be up every single week. Yeah. Look, we have regular jobs for a living. We have to show up every day and type, send emails, make phone calls, do paperwork, whatever. And it's hard to be up every day. Think about if your job is to go out there and physically try to dominate another human being every day. It's hard to make yourself do that. So I think that eight-point line has a lot to do with the situation about Georgia can't be up every game. And coming off the stretch they're in where they've been dominant against some really good teams, going to Neyland, a game game that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of where it's at, there's probably a little bit of a letdown expectation. So, you know, that's my thought with it. Well, Vegas did this last week with Alabama and Kentucky. Noon kickoff in Kentucky, a little sleep, you never know. Well, it was a noon kickoff, and by 12.03, game was over. Yep. (laughs) So Georgia might can do that in Knoxville too. It's totally possible. Like that, Georgia has the talent for that. But yeah, it's but a different I'm scenario. Going, I'm still going to the game nervous just because I agree with what you're saying, and I say this all the time. It's just hard to win. Hard I, to I win. know Georgia had we we just raved about how selfish this team is, how good the offense is. It's just each time you, it's it's easy to take the field. You know, if you're flipping a quarter, you know, heads or tails, and you've got eleven heads in a row, you're like, you know, it just it's hard for them to keep happening. And again, one flip does not matter for the next flip. They're independent events, but there's still that chance. So uh, I don't, I don't expect Georgia to lose. I think the offense is just too good. And I know Tennessee will give Georgia its best shot because if they win, it changes their entire season. This is a disappointing season for them. There's no question. They've already lost three games. They're not, they were thinking about winning the East. They were just talking about uh, when when we beat Georgia, don't rush the field. We got to act like we've been there before. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, but now if they win, especially after being humiliated, I mean, absolutely humiliated by uh, Missouri, this would change their entire outcome of their season. It would help them on the recruiting trail, uh, what, less than, what, uh, less than a month before signing day. I mean, beginning next year, a game like this, like there's 12 teams in a playoff, there's a shot that a team like Tennessee would have an outside chance to win your way in. Oh, yeah. with, a great, with a great couple of wins, you're exactly right. So, right. But that's not the case this year. And, you know, Joe Milton has not played great for them as of late. I mean, he ain't hitting Hooker. Hinton Hooker was a great quarterback for them last year, especially in their system. Um, so, you know, I get nervous when I'm not nervous. That's how my superstitious <laughs> Um But, you know, and it's probably because there's not a ton on the line for Georgia this week other than there's plenty to play for. Don't get me wrong. It's Tennessee. Yeah. We're Georgia. It's thinking matters. So there's not going to be a letdown in that situation. It's just a matter of at some point the ball doesn't bounce your way. 
Georgia's really good, but they've also been on a situation where the ball has bounced their way a decent amount, it seems like. Now, they created situations, which helps. But at some point, something bad is going to happen. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I, I guess that's my point is, like, I expect them to win wholeheartedly. I'm even shocked by the, the line there. But I just know that, hey, I mean, you can have your South Carolina game in 2019. Yep. Yep. Crap happens. So I'll keep it. PG I mean, this here. Tennessee team was dominant over Alabama for a quarter. It just couldn't do it for four. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, real quick, I want to mention our friends over at uh, myperfectfranchise.net. Uh, the guys over there, Andy Ludecki and uh, Brandon Beachy, they, their whole purpose is to help you with your planning. So we're talking about, you know, how, what's Georgia's plan for, uh, well, what was their plan for Ole Miss? What is their plan for Tennessee? It all start, starts with good communication and a game plan. Well, if you were looking to change careers, if you're doing what we do, if you're doing you know, what you do, whatever your career is, uh, you're like, I need to get in. I'm going to get into a field that is not, it's not my background, but there's a lot of money to be made there. I want control. I want more time off. I want to, I want to be the person in charge. I, I want to change how much revenue I make. You know, I want to change my, uh, I want more than one revenue stream. I want something that's uh, recession proof. Reach out to myperfectfranchise.net, and I have it up on the screen there. So if you're listening to the podcast, you, you're not seeing it, but it basically says, "Look, it starts with a phone call." To give you the number, just call up Andy. You can call him directly. It's not like you have to go through 47 people to talk to the boss. Call Andy, and he'll say, "Okay, what do you want to do? You know, what do you have available? What are you interested in? Here are my recommendations." It doesn't cost you anything. He doesn't charge anything. Uh, if he if you do sign up with a franchise, the franchise company pays Andy, so it never costs you anything. So reach out to Andy. Uh, he'll take great care of you. I also want to mention now that it's Tuesday, it's about 1248. If you are about to take your lunch break or you're currently on your lunch break, you know, uh, you're looking for a place to go eat, swing by your pie. Get that bacon and cheddar pizza. It's their new uh, signature pizza. They also have it in a, uh, a pasta. We had the uh, for, on their watch long show when for this past Ole Miss game. I'm thinking it's good luck. I uh, asked Coach, hey, what do you want to eat before the game? He's like, ah, pizza, burger, wings, whatever. I went and got a bunch of pizzas. We were, ex- we started the game off right with a bunch of pizzas from Europe High, and I did it on the app, and I made sure that uh, I, I got the uh, free 14-inch pizza because I built up enough points on Tuesdays. You get the uh, double points. So it's, you know, 14-inch pizza, free. So I got that one for free from Europe High just because I used the app to order. So hit up Europe High when you get a chance. We do have some questions for you, Russ, here from UGASports.com. So we're going to pull some of those up here. I should have had the tab open, but I was looking at pizza. Bulldog Ben, how does Coach Smart prevent this team from looking ahead to Alabama? Tennessee on the road, wounded animal. Shouldn't be a challenge, but Bulldog Ben's worried anyway. Bulldog Ben is right to be worried. And never say Tennessee won't be a challenge because they are very talented. You play some teams like Vanderbilt that don't have the physical talent to compete with Georgia, it would take a freaking miracle for them to win. That's not the case with Tennessee. We have a better roster, but Tennessee has really good players. They have NFL caliber players all over that field. So having concern about playing a good team in their stadium is valid. But the thing Kirby does, people get mad. The media gets mad about all this coach speak. Quit all this one game at a time. We're trying to go 1-0 this week. We're worried about Tennessee. Well, that's what they do. That's what they actually do to prepare for games like this. They don't look ahead. They've got advanced scouts, not like Connor Stallions, that are looking ahead to other teams and figuring out what's happening and, and looking ahead to Tech, looking ahead against Alabama to start to get those game plans in place. But you have to be present 
with the opponent of the week. And I think Kirby does that as well as anybody in the history of our game. And he's got a team pretty much locked in. That's, that's what he's shown now for 27 consecutive games or whatever it is. So, I mean, that's the answer. Roddy, I'll toss this one to you. Rodney on YouTube wants to know if we know more about Julian Humphrey's injury, chances he might play. We asked Kirby Smart about that yesterday, and he spoke for at least 35 seconds, didn't say anything. <clears throat> it, it was a master class in uh, not answering. <laughs> and, and, look, I give Kirby credit, and I also give him criticism when it's due. And I'm like, Kirby, come on, just tell us what's up. He's like, well, he's injured. He's got an upper upper body injury. So basically, there's something from the waist up that's not good, you know. And I'm like, come on. Now, what we were told, and this was in game, so I always uh, say this with a uh, grain of salt, because if you're trying to get or you're getting reports in game, you know it's not a trainer or somebody on the staff. It's somebody that's close to the somebody or some, you know. There's, in other words, there's steps removed if somebody has time during a game to send you a text or send you a phone call. Uh, to let you know what's going on. But we did have somebody do that. And uh, it's a trusted source who's been right on a lot of stuff. And he said that uh, he broke his clavicle. So it basically has a broken collarbone. And if you saw the way he's holding his arm when he walked out, you know, it looked like everyone thought he had like a wrist issue or uh, you know something in his arm. But if you have a broken clavicle, you want to hold that arm because the way it, you know, and he was in a uh, sling. So clavicle sounds appropriate or sounds at least plausible. I trust my source on this. And, you know, Sources can be wrong because, again, it's what they were told. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's not going to play this weekend. Now, what's interesting is when George is going with those three cornerbacks out there, who's the next guy up? You know, is it Nylon Green? Which I, I don't think it will be. But I'm putting my money on maybe A.J. Harris. Mm. That is a name to know, folks. He is an absolute monster. And uh, But he's young. He's a true freshman. But that could be, that could be it. So, uh, But I don't expect uh, Humphrey to play. Hey, let's just tight, let's just tightrope that thing and put it back out there. <laughs> Real quick a- on the tightrope thing, uh, I, I quoted something from Mark Slaybaugh's column on ESPN uh, when the the surgery first came out, and you know I trust Mark as a reporter more than anybody. Uh, he, he got has a quote from a doctor saying, or you know, just a note that the average return time or recovery time for tightrope surgery is four to six weeks. You realize Brock Bowers only missed two games. Yeah. There was a bye weekend there. I get it, but yep. two games. That, dude, that dude's different. <laughs> this is not a question, but a comment. A.W. Smith says, good memories from Middle Georgia with the late coach Bill Bonds and Russ. There's not been a, a T-shirt made or a trophy given out that didn't come from A.W. Smith's Sporting Goods when it was rocking and rolling in Sanderville, Georgia. Yeah, Coach Bonds, my high school coach. Um, love him like a father. Many, many stories we could tell. So, yeah, I appreciate my middle Georgia people chiming in. I mean, it's it's got to be good to know you're the second best Johnson County player ever, right? Yeah, arguably. <laughs> yeah, just, I'm just a pick behind Herschel, just a little bit. Hey, you know if Herschel would have lived about two miles closer to, to where I grew up, he'd have gone to East Lawrence. But he did. Hey, he would. He would have transferred over. He would have never wore that black. <laughs> <laughs> he knew he had come up to uh, love it field. You saying they would have recruited him is what you're telling yeah. me. Um, let's see. Some folks are asking. Uh, do you think Carson Beck comes back next year? We'll see. I mean, he's a lot to be determined here with NFL draft prospects. I mean, I, I would bet he does come back next year just because he just doesn't have that many reps right now 
running an offense. And you you think about a guy, and it's not a great comparison because they're very different players, but a guy like Trey Lance, who was out at, you know, North Dakota or wherever it was, early round draft pick, you know, out by the 49ers, but he just only started, I think, 12 or 14 games. And there's only so much practice you can do that prepares you the way that you need to be prepared to play in the NFL. Game time experience is something that can't be replicated no matter how, how hard you practice. And for a guy like Carson Beck, as good as the Georgia offensive line is, he's not going to get beaten, banged up a lot. And the more live reps he has, reading defenses, making decisions, getting the timing throws out, getting the, getting the offense in the right audible, like that's only going to help his draft stock rise. Now, if he gets a first-round grade, okay, he'll probably leave. But I would expect we see Carson one more year. Now, I'm looking at the number of guys who are actually going in the draft. And remember, there's only what uh, just over 250 guys take it. There's a goodly number of quarterbacks in this recruiting class. I mean, in this uh, draft class who are really good, who you know are going to be taken before him. Yep. You know, so you're like, okay, uh, what's it look like the following year? So I'd really like to see, you know, what are the guys who are maybe sophomores this year who can't come out, you know, or juniors who are kind of tearing it up who you don't think are going to come out. And it would, it would not – it would be a dual purpose. Like you said, he gets more snaps. He can he gets more on tape because the NFL will draft you based. You don't have to win. They have, they base you on draft you based on potential. What, what have you shown us? You know, let's see those throws. He doesn't have a lot of great downfield completions. He's got great intermediate stuff. He's got great decision-making, but also, you know, like maybe he can get some more of those uh, long shots on tape. You're like, okay. You know, you can hit that go route. You got that nine. You got that uh, double move post and you hit him in stride. You want to see some of that, especially with a bigger ball. So um, it wouldn't, I don't think it would hurt him to come back another year and be that guy. And by, the way, and by the way, NIL makes it a lot more likely he's going to come back. Because those guys used to back in the day, you know, if you had a chance to be a top three or four round draft pick, you took it. But yeah. now, if you're gonna, not going to be a first round pick and you're the dude, Especially if he goes to New York for the Heisman ceremony, which, you know, Pollock, I give him a lot of crap about a lot of stuff. Like, he doesn't eat barbecue. He can't be totally trusted. But <laughs> when it comes to Noah yeah. college football, he knows his stuff. And he's got Carson Beck at least in New York for the Heisman ceremony right now. So if he even gets invited to New York, his NIL value at Georgia next year, I mean, he'll make, I don't know, 2 or $3 million in a year. You know, he can come back another year and have a lot of money and then get himself ready for the NFL. Great point. And uh, folks, I know that we've talked about this relentlessly on our recruiting show, Rumors versus Facts, that we have on Mondays at 830. Uh, What Kirby Smart does, well, what UGA and what Kirby Smart asks his uh, Classic City Collective to do, because they can talk back and forth. He just can't, Kirby can't be a part of giving out the classic, you know, NIL deals, but he can direct them saying, this is what I would like you to do. If you have somebody reaching out to Classic City Collective saying, look, we're looking for a player to represent our brand, Kirby will say, look, don't Take care of the guys who are thinking about coming back first. Mm. Cedric Van Pran, huge leader for this team. Any of your guys who might go on the third, fourth, fifth round, we can get those guys to come back for another year with a good NIL deal. That is a proven player that we would would be more valuable to us than getting a high school kid who's rated, you know, in the top 100 in the nation. Get that guy to come back. So if you can get Carson Beck to come back, as many deals as possible. Does that mean you miss out on a Nikar or somebody else, uh, KJ Bolden, yep. you know, five-star guys? Uh, yeah, you might miss out on them because you don't have an infinite amount of money, but you put the money where it's going to get you the most impact, and those NIL deals for returning players 
are gigantic. Again, another situation where it's like, look, I need my guys to be unselfish. So, it's including the freshmen, including freshmen. Because, like, you're right, Russ. In some cases, you can make more in NIL than you can your first NFL contract. But then the, the alternative at quarterback is true that the economy of the sport in the NFL is changing to where they don't have enough good ones. And you're seeing guys that I've barely ever heard of start in the NFL in the middle of the season just because it's a long season, it's a grind, there's more injuries than ever. And, like, Carson Beck's talented enough to, to get in that. He's proven that to this point. Now, what does that mean for his future? There's going, he needs a lot of good people around him to help guide that decision because I, I think he's got some murky gray here in the middle. He's got to decide what works best for him. Yep. So, hey, yep. Uh, before we get to the next question, I want to mention our friends over at Academy Brewing Company. I, this is something I think Russ will absolutely love when you check out this uh, uh, biscuits they have over there. Now, they have a, a, a beer and brunch uh, thing that goes on every uh, Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 3. So you can get your biscuit and beer brunch. I can never say it because of too many bees. Uh, but check out one of these. They have their uh, crispy fried chicken, tomato, and egg biscuit. I mean, that just that, uh, folks. If you're just listening to the podcast, you're not seeing this ridiculous looking biscuit. It looks it looks phenomenal. And then of course they have their uh, their bulldog biscuit that has uh, a sausage, fried onions, and uh, was it topped with a uh, homemade gravy. And then of course they have their greenhouse biscuit with a fried tofu, fresh avocado, and tomato. So if you're looking for the non-meat version, but you want the high protein, they have that too. So uh, check out our friends at Academia Brewing Company. They have great beer. They have great <laughs> biscuits. And again, those biscuits are phenomenal. They, 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 you go out there and uh, for their beer brisket brunch, and you're like, uh, let me let me have one of these. And you, you, it just melts in your mouth. It feels kind of like grandma's old biscuits. So try them out when you get a chance at Academia Brewing Company. Huge supporter of the Georgia Bulldogs. Russ, I want to gauge your confidence level. Do you have a hotel room booked in Houston already? Oh, uh, <laughs> this is a trick question because that, well, yes, to answer your question. <laughs> now, now, the the truth of that is, it's not because of me. My wife is the one. So she has a, uh, she has a group of, uh, of college girls that meet with her once a week for a little, I don't know what they do. They call it a Bible study, but it's a lot of laughing and a lot of eating. I don't really know what they do. And they got talking about a few weeks ago. And she's like, you know, the last two years, this is the weekend I booked the trip for the national championship, kind of on a whim. And they're like, you doing this? She's like, no, the economy, the mortgage business, yada, yada, yada. And they're like, you've got to book a room. <laughs> it's all depending on you. So I do believe Mrs. Tanner has gone ahead and reserved a spot in Houston. So... Did it take the last two weeks of Missouri and Ole Miss wins to give y'all that confidence? No, she did it in October. Oh, I think after the Florida game. Well, she needs to come have my job because apparently she knows what she's talking about more than I do. She's well, smart. Uh, one of Georgia's biggest supporters, a uh, guy who's really helped them in uh, uh, for the last God, ten years or so. Uh, he pointed out to me the in Houston. The game, the, the stadium is located on Kirby Lane. Yes, it is. Kirby, Kirby Drive. Yep. It's got Kirby in it. So he's like, it's a sign. I'm like, yeah, literally it is a sign. But, you know, it's uh, if, if you are into that kind of uh, the universe giving you a, a precursor of what might happen, the fact that it's on Kirby Lane or Kirby Drive is uh, pretty telling. 
I may or may not have already lined up a few barbecue joints to do reviews on. So, <laughs> no pressure, Kirby. I know you're watching. He texted earlier and said that he loves Roddy and Dane. He'd be watching. So, uh, Kirby, if That's you're watching, you're grateful. No, they're not practicing right now. Bloody Tuesday. No, like we come before that, Roddy. You know that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, I, I need to teach him how to, uh, you know, rotate those safeties to bait somebody into a throw. <laughs> if our bullers interception, I they're still can't over. <laughs> I think they've got that part figured out. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm still laughing at him. Uh, Jake Rowe uh, pointed out that uh, Bullard on the interception opened up towards the interior of the field. So even if the QB is watching him, he's like, oh, yeah, he's definitely coming towards you going to the interior. We got that one-on-one on the side over here. I'm going right to him, and then Bullard jumps over there and steals the man's soul. You were proud of that. I was proud on Monday. Connor Riley from Dog Nation asked Kirby if he knew who Dolly Parton was, which is a wonderful question in the context of him not knowing who Miley Cyrus was. Like that made me so happy that that question was asked. I couldn't. I Kirby ask. didn't know. That, and that's why I don't go to news conferences much anymore because that's all I would do. Love I love it. On that. All right, uh, any other questions in the comment section there? That's a wrap, Russ. Man, you're you're always saying yes, and uh, I, I like you most when you do good mortgages and lock me in at three percent, like you did a while back. I don't know if that can happen for everybody anymore, but uh, I'm grateful that you came on this too. Hey, man, I, pre I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the dogs. I really enjoy it. So yeah, picking up, uh, give it give us real quick. What, what's the if people are saying I I, I want to wait until the rates come down? Yeah, I don't want to buy a house. Yeah. I think that's stupid. I, th I don't think the prices are going to keep coming down or come down, but the rates eventually will. But let me let's ask the expert. If somebody's looking thinking about buying a house now, sure. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the wisdom about buying a house right now. I mean, are rates going to come back down eventually? Yes. Is that going to be next week, next month, or next year? I don't know the answer to that. People are a lot smarter than me are trying to figure it out. But the issue is supply and demand. We ain't got enough houses for all the people who want to live here, especially in places in the South, like in Georgia. So enough houses aren't being built right now. So by the way, whenever rates come back down, the demand for housing is going to only go back up. And do you know what that does to the price of houses, by the way? Yeah. It's kind of like the rest of this Georgia season, man, is looking up. Like things are <laughs> going to keep going up if they do what we expect them to do. So, you know, if, if you're waiting on rates to come down, it may it may very well happen. And I hope it does. I'm the mortgage business for a living. We write a lot more loans when rates are low. But those house prices are only going to be higher, man, especially in places like Athens in our areas to where uh, there's just not enough housing built or being built to take care of all these people trying to leave cold weather places and come live where we live. Yeah, and I always tell people you can't renegotiate the price of the house after you bought it, but you can renegotiate the uh, interest on the loans. We can refi, baby. Yeah. Anyway, a uh, little financial advice there on the tail end of the show for people who, are, who who may need it or who may have been wondering. And when you got an expert on, you ask him uh, expert questions about barbecue. He's got the answers for those. You ask him questions about football. He's got the answers for those. And he also has the answers for your mortgage lending. So we appreciate Russ coming on. We appreciate all, all you people tuning in. And we will see you next week. Well, actually, we might not be on next week because it's uh, Thanksgiving week. So. Stay tuned. We got to. We have to make a decision on that one. We haven't. We have. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. But um, that Tuesday is going to be a lot of people traveling. So uh, we'll we'll see if we can do a show next week. If not, uh, uh, we'll see you on the Georgia Watch Along show this coming Saturday. Take care. Go dogs.